Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. I acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen, unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation uh, who have cared for this land since time immemorial. I pay respects to elders past and present. Um, It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, just one interview. I'll be joined by wonderful graphic novelist Leelai to speak about their new graphic novel called Stone Fruit. It's out through Fantagraphics and it's a story of a queer couple, Bron and Ray, and their relationship with their families and also their role as fun aunties to Ray's niece, Nessie. Uh, it's a really heartbreaking and beautiful story about how we keep each other close and about intimacy between lovers and also family. Uh, it's, yeah, I'm very excited to be chatting with Leelai a little bit later on this afternoon. Uh, as you probably know, next week is NAIDOC week, which means that our neighbours down the road at 3CR will be hosting their iconic Beyond the Bars project yet again. If you don't know Beyond the Bars, it is a live broadcast from Victorian prisons, usually happens during NAIDOC week. Um, And this year marks 20 years uh, that they've been doing this really incredible project. So I thought I would um, delve into their archives and share with you just a little snippet of uh, Beyond the Bars uh, that was from a a couple of years back, um, but just to encourage you to get behind this incredible project. And it's a really wonderful opportunity to listen to voices that we often don't get to hear from. So uh, we're going to take a snippet of that right now. This one is by Chantal and it's called Strong and Tall. You are listening to Triple R. Hope you can stay with me. I'm all alone in this cell. Too many thoughts in my head not knowing how to feel or think as I lay alone in my bed. Tears rolling down my face each day I'm getting stripped as we watch our cells getting tipped. One thing they can't take from us is our memories and our family's trust. This is a place we shouldn't be. Hope for bail and be free. Standing together strong and proud, all united, sing it loud. Throw our hands in the air, showing you that we really care. All us girls standing strong and tall, sticking together within these walls. So not another day goes by where yous will ever make us cry. So out with the old and in with the new, we are a happy little crew. Uh, And before that, we did take something from the 3CR Beyond the Bars uh, CD. That one is from 2016 as well. Of course, they are going to be doing their live prison broadcasts uh, during NADOC week next week. Our neighbours down the road at 3CR. You are listening to Triple Art. 
Bron and Ray are a queer couple who enjoy their roles as the fun aunties to Ray's niece, six-year-old Nessie. Their playdates are little oasises of wildness, joy and ease in all three of their lives. But when Ray and Bron's relationship starts to break down, they each have to navigate their way through that alongside some other tense family relationships. Stone Fruit is the new graphic novel by Australian cartoonist currently living in Teotihuacan, also known as Montreal, Quebec, uh, Lilai. Lilai, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, it's it's a real pleasure to chat to you. I know you've been making comics for a little while now. I'd love to, uh, if you can tell me a little bit about how you first kind of came to making uh, comics and what your arts practice looks like now. Sure. Um, I mean, I think like a lot of cartoonists I know, I made like real hack picture books when I was a kid. Um, and I think like looking back retrospectively, I think I realized I was really excited about storytelling and writing stories just as much as I loved drawing. Um, but as like a weird squiggly little kid, like drawing is a much more effective way of earning friends and, (laughs) um, allies when you're in school. (laughs) And so I think I kind of socially adapted to pulling tricks and drawing pretty pictures and being pretty invested in that right up until about uni. Um, and then just went through uni trying to figure out what I wanted to do and really only knew how to draw (laughs) and not a lot else. And so it wasn't really until, um, the last hand, small handful of years that I realized like I can lean into the love of writing and incorporate that more into my work. Um, and so the short comics got longer and longer until I got really invested in long form writing, which just feels so decadent. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. this is your first full length graphic novel. Um, I'd love to know, I suppose, how the, the process of this project came about. Where did the ideas for Stone Fruit come from? Yeah. Um, I generally start, I mean, like I talk like I've been doing this forever and I certainly haven't, but I have in my experience so far started out uh, longer projects by getting really invested in um, like a couple of characters and generally wanting to figure out something with those characters. And so I got really excited about drawing um, a couple of queers hanging out with a kid because it's something I was really craving seeing in my own life, you know, more queer ways of doing childcare and uh, queers and kids relating to each other. Um, and so I just st- started drawing little vignettes, feeling out like what the dialogue's like between them, what kind of play they have, um, how they navigate difficult conversations about bigger world things with a six-year-old and, you know, two strident, super left-wing opinionated queers. <laughs> um, and then the other thing was that I wanted to write about a breakup. And so those two things collided um, and then a longer story was slowly fleshed out over about a year from that point. I'd love to, I suppose, unpick a little bit the relationship between Ray and Bron. Um, it is quite heartbreaking at times um, going through and, and reading uh, their kind of breakdown in relationship. But, you know, there is so much there about how we try to care for each other and how we try to kind of show up and be there for each other. I'd love to know, tell me, yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about this relationship and and why that was so important for that to be the driving force? Yeah, I mean, I really, my experience of of relationships being hard and and breaking down 
um, and, you know, transforming into something else has been a lot around, like, you know, less like there's one person who's the real asshole um, and more just everyone's really trying their best, um, but in one way or another activating a whole lot of fear in the other person, depending on whether it's the independent um, experiences separate to that person or whether it's stuff that's, you know, really in that relationship that's being amped up. Um, and so it was important to me to show two people who are, like, really fond of each other and really doing their best with each other um, who just can't make it work anyway and are, like, you know, have a lot of the skills that you need to, to try and figure it out but are still kind of grappling with these larger parts of themselves that are struggling to live within the relationship um, and, you know, need to kind of wrestle free of the relationship, the confines of the relationship. Because mm. um, I think, like, the fact that there's no villainous aspects <laughs> involved in a breakup and just, like, a lot of effort and effort in vain sometimes has been my experience and a lot of the people, uh, a lot of the experiences of the people that I've talked to about it. I, I Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that I really love about your work is um, almost the, the poetry of it, the really small, uh, intricate moments of a relationship where whether it's a, like turned back in bed or whether it's, you know, faces turning at each other, but you have this really great way of kind of explaining that nuance through your visual and um, kind of the, the words that you use. I'd love to know um, when you are kind of going about thinking, portraying those kind of the intricacies of those relationships, what kind of goes into your thinking of um, what panels you're going to use and, and how you're going to portray those moments? Um, yeah, I think a, a lot of my favourite comics um, are more like cinematic experiences where like the panels are broken up so that it's somewhat like storyboards um, and each panel only really, like, I think some people write scripts that are maybe too long for the amount of pages they're willing to draw, and so they just jam as much dialogue into every single panel as possible. And I try and keep mine pretty sparse, partly because I am ai find it hard to read <laughs> really busy pages, so I don't really want to produce that. Um, but I also want each panel to kind of give the characters a chance to act as best they can for that shot. Um, so sometimes the most meaningful thing that can happen in that moment is just that they look a certain way or a certain direction or they move their body in a certain way or they just pause. Um, and maybe it's a pain in the ass to draw out a whole panel, just commit to that. But I think it does make a difference for the reading experience to have, you know, panels that are just, you know, a beat drop um, or a single thing that's said even though, yeah, it's really so labour-intensive. <laughs> I can I can only imagine, but it does. It says so much because there are, as you've kind of said, there's so much in the silences that we have um, with each other or, you know, the body language that we convey without conveying words. So I think, yeah, I just love the way mm -hmm. that you've done that. Um, you know, of course, another central um, character is Nessie, the niece. Um, I love the way that you have kind of portrayed, you know, when they are all together, the three of them, um, the way that you kind of portray the three of them kind of getting wrapped up in the um, just like the imagination of a young person and kind of drawing their faces almost like monster-like um, and just really getting into that play in that imaginary world. It's like so joyful. Um, and just, it, I have a young um, person in my life and it really reminds me of the times that I spend with them. I, I'd love to know, I suppose, yeah, tell me a little bit about those kind of, um, those kind of drawings where you're depicting that kind of childlike world. 
Yeah, I mean, my experience of hanging out with kids that age, especially when they're um, when you have a real connection with them, is that they really suck you in, and that you can kind of gain like a momentum and a rapport with each other. That I have an experience with meeting a kid straight away. Like, there's often like a weird kind of mutual sussing out and a bit of awkwardness and suspicion, which I think <laughs> is really important. And then when you do get into a mode. Like, you know, you find your your groove with each other and there is this kind of rolling momentum that happens. Um, and I want it was a it was just an experiment to see how it was going to be drawing them as monsters. I think it was just a bit of fun for me. Um, and then the function of those scenes in contrast with the fact that the rest of the book is like pretty sad and, you know, much more of a downer vibe, like uh it ended up being more of a storytelling tool as the script progressed. Um, but it, yeah, like, like a lot of things in the book, it was just an experiment to start off with. Mm. I'm glad you did it. I thought it was, yeah, I thought <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, if you have just joined us, um, we are speaking with Australian cartoonist Lili, uh, all about her graphic novel called Stone Fruit. Um, you know, Lila, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit more about uh, the way in which you've kind of depicted family throughout the book. You know, there's there's kind of chosen family and then there's the biological family um, and both kind of have their uh, intricacies that are, are needed to kind of navigate their way through them. Can you tell me a little bit about those, um, I suppose, the, maybe the biological family ties and, and how you've kind of tried to explore that throughout this book? Yeah, Um I think it was important for me to have like a, both models of family on display and kind of bumping up against each other. Um, I think something that I've seen, you know, having been in queer communities since I was a teen, um, is that regardless of whether it's an estranged relationship or an ongoing active relationship, that biological family stuff is really hard to shake. Um, and, you know, needs, like, just continues to be present and relevant, even if it's not relevant necessarily in everyone's life. Um, and that, that does really inform how people approach building new forms of family, even if it's in a reactive sense. Um, and I think it was interesting to me to try and figure out how to draw relationships that were in constant shifting states, because um, I think, like, there's a lot of associations with biological family as like a fixed thing that like things can't change. But I mean, my experience with biofam has been that like things change enormously. Dynamics are shifting constantly, even with people who are fully formed adults um, and determined not to change anymore. <laughs> um, and then on the contrast, I like, I think I've seen like chosen family being like really heavily ideologized idealized or mm -hmm. going in with a lot of ideology um and like I think <laughs> I mean I'm in my 20s now and like have spent most of my 20s like grappling with different understandings of chosen family and just like so many people including myself coming up time and time again with like our values and ideas versus the reality of the situation mm -hmm. um and I think I have underestimated a lot of times like how complex family is in every iteration of it, how many power dynamics there can be and like how gently that needs to be treated and held and approached. Mm. Um, Cause it's just, it's so loaded for everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't know a single person who doesn't experience that being a loaded thing. 
Totally. And they're always shifting. And I think that's something you've portrayed with, yeah, real relatability and, and um, yeah, this authenticity, which is really great. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about the aesthetics of the work. Um, you know, as you said, it's quite sparse. It's um, quite pared back also in the kind of color palette of the kind of the muted blue and like the black and white. Um, I'd love to know, I suppose, when you're thinking about what it's going to look like on the page in terms of colour, um, what what kind of goes into that thinking? Um, like, not as much as I think the feedback I've had. Like, a lot of people have shared really great and generous uh, feedback on, like, how they experience the storytelling of, like, the colour shifts in it. Um, the majority of the book uh, is in like a blue background and gray background wash of gouache. And then the figures are all done in black and white with ink. Um, I'm generally pretty averse to using color just as my own particular neurotic tendency in painting. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, the book I'm working on now has is like pretty much all in gray scale and black and white because of that. Um, but this book was an attempt to have a bit of color. And then some of the panels are selectively black and white. And that was mainly because I think it creates like a nice change in the pacing a little bit when not every background has color. I also find that when I'm having a conversation with someone, sometimes backgrounds just don't exist, even in real life. They just melt away and they're not relevant anymore. The focus is somewhere, somewhere else. So true. Um, and just aesthetically, I found that like when every page has a similar amount of detail, um, it just all kind of homogenizes in a way that is not super engaging for me to read when I'm reading back my own work. Mm. Um, and so I think it just gave a little more lightness and breeziness to what otherwise could be like a pretty heavy, even visually dense read. Mm. Yeah, I'm interested in that kind of interplay between the way you think about the kind of aesthetics of it and the writing of the story. You know, you kind of said before that, um, you know, you, you were kind of drawing for a long time and then kind of infused your writing into it. I'm interested when you're putting together something like this, you said it took you about a year. Um, how do you, how does the story unfold for you? Does the, do the visuals come first? Does the writing come first? Does it happen at the same time? What is that like? Um, I mean, I wish I happened at the same time. That would be so efficient. Um, with this one, I wrote the whole script first as a first draft and then began to draw it and then changed it dramatically um, as I went along. Like in the initial draft, uh, the story doesn't split in two when the two of them separate and like initially it just followed Rachel. Mm. Um, and then like very soon that made it, it made it clear to me that like, I couldn't just leave a, a main character in a corner because <laughs> I didn't know what happened to her. I had to address that as well. And so by the time I was drawing it out, um, yeah. I needed to like expand on that a lot. And the book ended up being way longer. <laughs> um, but like, I think now like this, the, the second time around um, I'm doing it chapter by chapter and I'm a little more comfortable having like a general outline for the thing and then scripting out chunks at a time and drawing it. Um, I think one of the values of comics and also one of the curses, is it's just super slow. Mm. Um, and so there's lots of time to think my next move out <laughs> while I'm drawing out, you know, 20 pages worth of a script before I figure out the next chapter. Mm. Yeah, that is quite a labor intensive um, process. Um, 
you know, it, it, the the book is out now. It's um, you know, it's incredibly beautiful as an object and as a as a story. I, I've read that it's been translated um, into nine different languages. Um, can you tell me a bit about what that feels like to have your kind of first um, full length graphic novel, yeah, translated so it's accessible for more people? So cool. <laughs> I got really lucky. Um, like it's only because I have a real superstar of an agent. Um, who works specifically with cartoonists, and she's based in Italy now, but she, her, her thing is is um, working mostly in Europe and some parts of Asia um, and working between there and America to do translations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's just really invested in getting weird niche cartoonists <laughs> enough money to make another book, basically, which is what she's helping me do. Um, and it also just means I get to connect with cartoonists and publishers and comics communities um, in places I never thought I would. Because mm. um, comics communities are the best. They're like such a great little pocket of different cities to tap into. Like, I feel like they're just everyone is strange and earnest and very obsessive about their work in really sweet ways. Um, so eventually, hopefully, when COVID ends, there'll be a chance to maybe go to some comics festivals and things like that in some of the countries where the book was translated and just have a chat with some other folks there. That's incredibly exciting. Um, and I'm so glad it has been because it's a really, yeah, it's a really stunning work. Um, I'd love to know just before I let you go, you know, you've been making comics for a while now. I'm interested in where you kind of see this book sitting within your larger body of work and kind of what you're wanting to do next. Um, I mean, I have a habit, which I think most creators do, of of being quite embarrassed by my work the moment it's done. <laughs> and, like, I'm trying to not let that take be the, be the dominant feeling, otherwise it's freezing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just trying to approach this as rather than just to be, you know, curl up in horror and pretend like it never existed to just see it as a thing that I'm proud of because I finished it. Like it was hard to finish it and I'm glad I did. Um, and I learned a lot from the experience and I love writing long form it turns out. And so this is just a project that will enable the next one. Mm. And, you know, as long as I, I can and I'm able to write, longer stories I think I'd just like to continue doing this Mm. well um I hope you do and I hope I can continue reading um and and experiencing your work it's um it's such a pleasure to chat to you and huge congratulations thank you so much it's a pleasure we were just chatting there with Lilai um, all about her brand new graphic novel. It is called Stone Fruit and it's out now through Fantagraphics. You're listening to Triple R. It's quickly time for me to get on out of here. I don't know where that hour goes. Uh, thanks for keeping me company this afternoon. It's always a pleasure to be with you here on Triple R. You have been listening to The Glass House. I do want to say a big thank you to Lee Lai for that interview, talking all about their new graphic novel, Stone Fruit. I don't read a lot of graphic novels, but this one just absolutely captured my heart. So if you're interested, you can get it through Fantagraphics or wherever you get your books from. I do want to say a big thank you also to Elizabeth McCarthy for making this show possible and to Jenny Davis, who has been producing the podcast for this show. 
Uh, if you do want to listen to anything that you might have missed um, on this program, you can download it via your favourite podcast app. Just type in The Glass House and you can listen at any time. I'll be back with you very soon. Keep it locked to Triple R. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.